Some of you might have been wondering about that little exchange between Pastor Pete and I as I was coming on stage. Uh, what, it, what it was about is I was trying to explain to him, I want to show him how to sing a part in that new song. He's not quite hitting that right. And, and being who I am with vocal <laughs> abilities, <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish. I'm going to tell you something. If I could sing, I would be more obnoxious than I already am. I would break out in a song right in the middle of a message. I mean, I <laughs> so God was wise in not giving me any ability to sing whatsoever. <laughs> it's only safe for me in my car. Uh, it's a rare occasion when Hollywood uh, invests, you know, like a large amount of money in a, in a serious movie, uh, a movie that has had life-changing impact on our world. And yet, this summer, that is what we have. And, and just to kind of introduce that, we're <laughs> guys, what are you doing, man? That's not, the right, that's not the right movie. I will say one thing. For 64 years old, she looks darn good, uh, Barbie. <laughs> this is the movie, Oppenheimer. And if you know the theme, it is about, uh, it's a real man who was considered the father of the atomic bomb. He was responsible for producing the first nuclear weapon. And um, I want you to think about nuclear power because, you know, we live in a world today that, you know, we could go to sleep tonight and wake up to a very different world because of nuclear weapons. There's about 12,500 some nuclear weapons right now, more than enough to do damage to my house and yours. And yet, nuclear power is wonderful I mean a lot of electricity is produced by nuclear power uh, many of us have experienced medical help through nuclear medicine so nuclear power although it is extraordinary mankind has never discovered anything like it until Oppenheimer you know developed this weaponry and of course other things from it um, but it's a power that that's in a sense we think of it as being destructive and it is but it's also a power that can be used for good. Now, each and every one of you, you're not going to really likely believe this to your core, but it's true. Each and every one of you, myself included, have been entrusted by God with a power that is frankly, arguably, more power than nuclear power. You carry it inside you every day. I carry it inside me. And... We utilize it in various ways. And rarely do we have a clear understanding of the impact that it has or can have. And that's what we want to talk about today. We're, we're going through a study in the book of James in the New Testament. And we're going to come to the third chapter today. But I want to start by making a statement. The power that I'm talking about that you carry, the power of the printed or what word? Spoken word. Now, we may not think about it as being so powerful, but, you know, things that get decided every single day are because of individuals saying something. And when we're talking about words, and James is going to use a, a term, he's going to talk a lot about the tongue, but he's not talking about just the human tongue. He's talking about words, and words are ideas. They are thoughts. They are feelings. And these ideas, these thoughts, these feelings, these words, whether they're printed or whether they're spoken, they have tremendous power to change a person's life for good or evil. They have a tremendous power, and we utilize this power each and every day. Let me go on. The power creates. Now, here's where James is going to zero us in today. 
The power creates tremendous temptation to be used to get what we want and to get others to, what does it say? Do what we want. Let, let me give you an example. How many of you have ever been in a, maybe a grocery store or something and you've watched uh, a five-year-old begin to elevate their decibel level because they want something and maybe it's dad, you know, 200-pound, 200-pound highly educated dad, little 40-pound five-year-old boy is elevating his decibel level want it I want it want it I want it yeah. and and then he's crying and screaming and throwing himself just going into a tantrum and what does 200 pound highly educated dad end up doing nine times out of ten you give him what he wants because you have been broken down and humiliated <laughs> by a five-year-old 40-pound kid we learn early on sometimes that through intimidation what we say, if we can shock somebody, if we can irritate somebody, if we can push somebody, if we can humiliate somebody, if we can break somebody down, we can get what we want from them. We can get them to do what we want. And this is a terrible, terrible, terrible for you young, young parents learning to affirm for your child because multiple times they will carry that through the rest of their life and it will not serve them well. And it will, it will bring torture to many other people in their lives now let me give you one other illustration of how this works okay let, let, let's take the teenage girl who suddenly recognizes that everywhere her and her friends go the attention always falls on one girl everybody looks at her everybody listens to her and attention goes away from one particular girl so she sets out to change that, that dynamic. She sees something she wants. She, she wants the attention. She wants to feel like she envisions that girl feeling. So what does she do? She doesn't use intimidation. She uses manipulation. And so she sets about to say things, disparaging things about that girl every chance she gets. She starts rumors. She slanders. She maybe goes online and starts something. And so she, she breaks the girl down, the popular girl, the girl that's getting a lot of attention. She breaks her down, tears her down, humiliates her through manipulation and deception and brings attention to herself. And this is another terrible lesson that we tend to inadvertently learn in life we we start learning without even thinking about it these coping mechanisms you know that by saying things a certain way we can intimidate we can wear people down we can break people down or we can manipulate we can schmooze them we can charm them and get them to do what we want them to do and those are both misuses misuses of this power that God has given to us to communicate so this power creates tremendous temptation to be used to get what we want and to get others to do what we want. And we all know people like this. And we all are people like this to some degree. Let's add to this. Ironically, the controllers suffer as much or more than those they seek to control. They don't know that. The people that get their way, what they don't understand is they are deteriorating the structure of their soul. They are minimizing the development of God-given capacities for joy, for love, for peace. They are bringing a slow death to their own soul as they manipulate and intimidate and control other people. As they tear other people down, they don't understand it. They're destroying their own soul in the process, depriving themselves of the capacity to ever have the kind of joy, the kind of peace, the kind of love that we all seek. 
So this is a powerful thing, and it's a thing that we all have to handle, and we do one way or another. So here we go. Here's, here's the gist of the message. Communication is what we're talking about. The power to hurt, power to heal. It's very powerful either way. Let's go to the book of James, chapter 3. We can't read all the verses. It would take all day, but I'm, I'm going to kind of cut through. Uh, he starts out in James 3, 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become what? Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly, rightly so. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our what? Our tongues, and he's just talking about communication, we would be perfect. The word perfect, Greek word teleos, it just means mature. It doesn't mean sinless perfect. We would be teleos, mature, and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now stop here for just a minute before we go to the next slide. James, remember, is writing to individuals that were Jewish, but they were Jewish followers of Jesus. They had fled Jerusalem about 11 years earlier because of persecution. They were forced to start life over again in strange places. They, they were literally strangers in strange lands. And so they went from being known in Jerusalem, you know, like in a small community, everybody knows you, everybody knows your name, and that makes you feel safe, it makes you feel secure, and it makes you feel significant. Everybody knows you. Now they're strangers in a strange land. No one knows them, and they're probably feeling very deficient as far as their personal worth and value. And, and so they're trying to figure out how to put their lives back together, and it seems like in that context they were, they were thinking, well, we can still be important in a small circle. We can't be important in the community because nobody knows us or cares about us. We're strangers in a strange land. But within the church, so as these Christian Jews clustered together and formed churches, they could become prominent in those small communities. And James is insinuating there were some that were jockeying, there were some that were wanting to be teachers that James knew were not really gifted or called of God to do that. Now, now you think to yourself, why would anybody want to do that? Well, you have to understand the Jewish context, the Jewish culture. It was a big deal. If you were called teacher, which the word would have been rabbi, it was a, a prestigious thing. You were literally, in that culture, if you were a rabbi, you were like a rock star. So it appears that these people James is writing to, they are trying to regain a sense of value by jockeying for positions that God had neither equipped them for or called them to. And James is trying to gently correct that, but he's going to go into this thing about communication because it, it appears that in the process of seeking something that God didn't call them to or equip them for they were going about using this communication power to tear others down in order to try to lift themselves up that's kind of the context all right let's go on with the tongue notice he keeps using the word tongue you know again he's talking about uh, words ideas thoughts feelings with the tongue we praise our lord and father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in god's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters this should not be can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs neither can a salt spring produce fresh water goes on but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual what is the word demonic some translations literally have devilish I'll, I'll explain what James was getting at in a minute for where you have envy 
and selfish ambition there you find disorder and what does it say every evil practice James is saying listen if you have somebody that's envious and they're selfishly ambitious remember some wanted to be teachers they thought they could regain a sense of value and prestige and so they were they were trying to tear others down while they were trying to lift themselves up James says if you find a person who's allowed envy to get hold of their hearts and selfish ambition they're trying to promote themselves they're trying to raise themselves over others get others to do what they want he says you can count on it every sort of evil is possible in a life like that now when James said this wisdom is demonic what was he talking about he's literally talking about the first sin ever committed in the universe and the first sin committed in the universe was not committed by a human it was committed by an individual called Lucifer an angel who had a very high God-given position but he was not content with the position. James was writing to people who were not content with their God-given status. They wanted more than God had given to them. Some were not equipped in this case to be teachers, but they thought it would raise their worth, and so they were, you know, wanting that. James is going all the way back to Lucifer's fall. Lucifer looked at God, and he thought, you know, God must experience something that none of the rest of us experience. He, he's the boss. He's the top dog. When he comes in a room, everybody looks, everybody listens. If he really loved me, he'd let me experience that, or he'd let us experience that too. And when you read Scripture, the first sin, evil, comes into existence because of discontent with what God had given to Lucifer. And James is writing to people, he says, you're discontent with the status that God has given you and that discontent is leading to envy and it's leading to jealousy and it's leading to selfish ambition and once you open the door to that Pandora's box any kind of evil anything goes whatever you need to do to tear the other person down so that you can lift yourself up or whatever you need to do to lift yourself up all we got to do is think of politicians right I mean politicians as soon as they open their mouth they're usually lying they're usually manipulating they're usually conning they're usually trying to you know get us to elect them so that they can then do whatever it is they really want to do so that's the context of this powerful use of messaging that James is talking about but in this case he's warning these Christians don't use this power that God's given and entrusted to you to do hurt it's meant to do healing it goes on by, by just closing this out James 4 11 he says brothers and sisters do not slander one another that's that's one of the names for the devil the slanderer because he slanders the character of God to the other angels one-third of them revolt, revolted with him and then he slandered the character of God to Adam and Eve in the garden he always disparages God he always lies about God he always tries to tear him down so as to lift himself up but James says people can do the same thing and sometimes it's so subtle sometimes it's just that you know you go somewhere and you're around some people and then you come home to your safe little community whatever that may be your family your friends and and you start saying some things about the people that you were just around and and the conversation starts out rather neutral but then it starts to drift downward you start to find more and more fault with those people you say it subtly you say it kindly you say it gently but you're tearing them down tearing them down tearing them down tearing them down because you're deficient feeling in yourself or ourselves and we're trying to lift ourselves up but it's a it's a self-defeating sort of a process all right let's start with this recognizing 
our communication problems. We all have communication problems. This power that God has given to us to communicate, and it's, it's extraordinary, it's sophisticated. I mean, let's face it, you, you can say something lovely to somebody and change their entire inner experience. Uh, they may be discouraged, they may be down, and you say the right thing to them, and all of a sudden they're encouraged, they feel good, vice versa, you can change it. So it's a tremendous power. It, it can change the course of a person's whole life. Guarantee you, guarantee you, in this room right now, there are some of us that we could tell stories about something that was negatively said to us or about us, and we are still fighting a battle to get our head straight on that thing. It's still affecting us in some negative way. Vice versa, we may have had somebody in our life that said something extraordinarily positive, and that gave us just that little hold on life to, to take the next step forward, and we look back and we say, man, that was a pivotal moment. If that person hadn't said what they said at the right time, I don't know where I'd be right now. So, so we know the power of words. But we have problems with communication because it, it's very tempting to use it to get others to do what we want them to do and to get for ourselves what we want or what we think we need. That's where the problems come in. Let's look at a few portions of Scripture. James 1, it says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to what? Listen and slow to what? Speak and slow to what? Get angry. Now, for some of us, listening, focused listening, is extremely hard. Maybe for most of us it's extremely hard. Speaking is usually much easier. Somebody compared it like uh, that, that speaking is like doing curls, but listening is like doing squats. You know, the, the one is incredibly difficult. But James is urging us that this power of communication that God's given to us, we, we, need to, we need to respect it, and we need to know how difficult it is to use it correctly. And he says, start working at listening better and start working at not speaking so immediately watching your words and then he throws in anger because sometimes um, again James is writing to people that had agendas we're, we're having conversations with people because we're trying to get something from them or get them to do something we want them to do and then anger sparks up rather quickly so he's telling us that, that we have to caution ourselves when we use this gift. And just like he started out earlier, he's saying those that teach, have to, people like me have to caution yourself even more so. Let me add to this the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is fascinating, and I'll embellish a bit on this. Let me read it first. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 33. He says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit, common sense you brood of vipers. Now, he, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. If you read the entire 12th chapter, well, you don't even need to read the entire 12th chapter. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 36. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. He has just done a miracle in the context. A man was demonized so that he could neither speak nor see. He was blind and unable to speak. Jesus casts out the demon, and the man starts to be able to speak for the first time in his life and his blind eyes are open but the Pharisees say you could you did that miracle Jesus because you're full of the devil you've got Beelzebub in you you're you're the prince of the Lord of flies the prince of demons and you did this miracle in demonic power that's the background of what Jesus is saying 
So he says, you brood of vipers, he's calling these Pharisees religious leaders snakes. That doesn't sound very gentle or mild, does it? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, doesn't sound very mild to me when he's calling them snakes. Um, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil, notice he didn't shrink back calling these religious leaders evil, say anything good for the mouth speaks what, uh, what does it say? This is important to us, what the heart is full of. What will come out of my mouth, what will come out of your mouth, particularly in our unguarded moments, in our relaxed moments, is what is filling our hearts, what is filling our minds, what we dwell on, what we care about, what we value, what we think about, what in our, in our free moments we focus on. That, that will spill out out of our mouths. And in this case, Jesus is saying that these religious leaders, because their, their hearts were evil, their evil accusations spilled out of their mouth by the way that portion of scripture it's one of the scariest portions of scripture in all the bible matthew 12 verse 22 through 36 it is where jesus announces something called the unpardonable sin he says there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven in this age or age to come and it was to accuse jesus of doing his miracles in devil power demonic power instead of acknowledging that he did it in the power of the spirit of god when a person can look at Jesus and say, I think he was the greatest witch that ever lived and he did all his miracles in demonic power, there's no hope for that person because obviously they're not going to trust him and follow him and so it becomes an unpardonable sin. But that's the context of the background. But for us, and to get back to James, now mind you, James, who can remember what we said? James is who to Jesus? His half-brother. And James is almost quoting Jesus verbatim when he says, you know, hey, you, you shouldn't have salt water coming out of fresh water and you shouldn't have olives growing on, you know, uh, grapes or, or figs or whatever it was. He's saying the same thing Jesus says, that what fills a person's heart will come out in their words. You want to know what a person's really like? You just listen to them long enough. Listen, I'm, I'm going to just say something. I, I don't care if I offend you or not because you need to hear it. If profanity spews out of your mouths regularly or even occasionally, you really should take that seriously because it shows that your heart is profane. And if you think that profanity is not damaging, then you just don't remember what it was like to be a child and be exposed to profanity. Um, It's a serious thing, and it's more importantly something that God wants to give us the ability to eliminate from our lives altogether and should be eliminated should be eliminated quickly from the life of every christ follower let's let's go on thank you by the way it says a good man jesus is still talking he says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him so jesus is just saying what we have filling our minds filling our hearts what we think when what we dwell on when we relax what our minds drift toward what we value what we care about that's going to come out of our mouths and so back to james james is saying be careful what we allow to encompass and fill our hearts because what fills our hearts fills our minds that will inevitably come out of our mouths and we won't manage this tremendously powerful gift of communication that God has given us we won't manage it well we'll be we'll be tempted to misuse it Proverbs says this describing certain individuals Proverbs 12 18 it says the words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise does what here we have words can hurt words can heal I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands but we've all been around those people whose words pierce like a sword I got to be frank I know my words 
in my history have occasionally pierced like people like a sword. I, I've had to work hard and learn to kind of control the kind of speech that comes out of my own mouth. But the thing about these people whose words pierce like swords is often they will pride themselves on it. Uh, perhaps you've met these kind of folks. They say, well, I, I, I just tell you what, I just shoot straight from the shoulder. I just tell it like it is. And what they're really acknowledging is they have no self-control. They have no filter. They have no compassion. They have no knowledge of humanity. But they pride themselves. I just say it like it is. I just be. Now, most of the times they can dish it, but they can't take it. But they pride themselves on being a straight shooter. But they're not a straight shooter. They're reckless and their words pierce like a sword they're misusing this tremendous power that God gives us for good they're using it to wound and to hurt other people and they should not be ashamed they should be ashamed of what they unfortunately are often proud of let me share a statement with you a couple statements our negative hurtful patterns of communication may not always may be revealing an attempt to cope with deep feelings of personal what deficiency and deprivation let me explain what I mean James was writing to people some of them wanted to be teachers because they probably thought this will restore their sense of worth their sense of value their their self-esteem and let, let me just share this too if you and I get our sense of worth our value our significance our self-esteem from any other source other than Christ the creator of the universe love with love in his heart created you for himself you may, you may have children, and you know how much you love your child. That child, when it's newborn, you love it, even though it hasn't done a thing. Christ's love for you is even more so. Your worth is that Christ, in love, created you for himself, but he didn't stop there. Your worth is in that Christ also, when you and I forgot about him, went our way, did our own thing, broke his heart, broke his laws, sinned against God, sinned against ourselves, sinned against others, he still loves you and values you so much and me so much that he went to the cross to prove it. He died for us to say, literally, I love you to death. I just need you to return to me. I just need you to trust me so that I can give you the life you were always meant to have. If you or I, knowingly or unknowingly, start to try to derive our sense of self-worth from anything other than Christ created me and Christ died for me I can assure you your sense of self-worth will go up and down like this up and down and you'll you'll be blaming everybody and everything for your feelings of not feeling valued and you'll be angry and you'll be bitter and you'll be envious and you'll be jealous and likely have selfish ambition you'll try to envision somebody that has something that you want and you think to yourself oh I bet you they feel good about themselves if I only had their career if I only had their family if I only had their looks if I only had their talent you know if I only had their money whatever it might be and the next thing you know you're in one of these crusades because you think or we think we can derive the value that we don't feel from taking something or getting something from someone else and that's just never going to be true so I'm going to just say it one more time. There is no excuse, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but there's no excuse for you or I or any Christ follower to ever be suffering from low self-esteem. You say, Randy, you don't understand. People get damaged. People get hurt. I do understand. I have been damaged. I have been hurt. I do. I understand better than you think. But I also understand that unless I anchor my sense of self-worth in Christ creating me and Christ dying for me, I will have a hard time ever feeling 
of any significance or value. That is what we are to anchor to. And if we do, nothing can shake your sense of self-worth. It might bump and, you know, jolt you a little, and you'll have to come back to that foundation. But that's where we need to anchor it. Our negative hurtful patterns of communication may be revealing an attempt to cope with deep feelings of personal deficiency and deprivation. Deprivation is, I've been cheated. God, why didn't you put me in a better family? Why didn't you give me, you know, more talent? Why didn't you give me more intellect? Why didn't you make me better looking? You know, whatever it is, it's this sense of cheated. The people that James was writing to, they wanted to feel important. Rabbi, they wanted people to say to them again. They felt like God was depriving them of something. That brings this second statement, which some of you are going to find a little shocking. So this personal deficiency of deprivation, it's rooted in hidden discontent or dislike of who? When we're not satisfied with the positions that God has given to us. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we all want to grow. We want to improve. I'm not saying that's not a part of God's purpose, but there's a rooted thing. James was writing to people that were not called or equipped or gifted to be teachers, but wanted to be because they wanted to fill some deficiency in themselves. Lucifer, back in heaven, God had given him a tremendously high position, but he was not contented. He wanted more. When you and I want more than what we have and we're pouting and we're we're angry and we're embittered and we're jealous and we're envious and we're petty and critical and slanderous of others this is indicative really our fight is with God we're, we're saying you, you cheated me you you could have made my life better you could have given me better parents you could have given me better whatever it is and it means that we we may even dislike God the Pharisees back in Matthew 12 that I was talking about here was God Jesus is God they were face to face with God God had just healed a man from blindness and not being able to speak and yet these Pharisees accused him of being functioning in demonic power God was right in their face and they didn't like him because Jesus was threatening their prestige when you finally get to uh, Pilate when Pilate has Jesus before him and he's about to give the decision to crucify him it, Pilate openly said he said he knew that the religious leaders brought Jesus to him because of their personal jealousy of Jesus Jesus was stealing their thunder everybody was turning to him everybody was listening to him they were not listening to these religious leaders anymore because these religious leaders were giving a distorted view of what God was like and Jesus was giving a full true accurate revelation of God but envy and jealousy will lead us to do some ter terrible things and communication is one of the things we use some of us could be more tempted to use intimidating communication styles beating people down wearing people down shocking people hurting people wounding people stunning people with their words so that we can get them to do what we want or we can get what we want others of us we might be smoother we might use manipulation and charm and and, and we trick people and they think they're doing what they want, but they're not. They're doing what we want. We, we move people around. We manipulate. The, these are tempting skills that we learn in life. We don't even try to learn them, but they're a misuse of this tremendous power for good when it's used the right way. So let's get on the, the positive side, rectifying, rectifying our communication problems. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition. Sometimes we want things that we just should not want. Now, God promises us 
that in, that in the age to come, he's going to give us the desires of our heart. But in this age, he has a certain position and place and plan for each and every one of us. And we need to learn to be content with that and to be faithful with it. But sometimes we, we are driven by selfish ambition. We, we want more. We want to be a little better. We want a little more power. We want a little, a little more. Pre- Nobody appreciates me. You know, all, all these little lies we tell ourselves to legitimize our selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's arrogance. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is God's way. God is not selfishly ambitious. God is unselfishly ambitious he takes his power to bring blessing to those that he created in his image he's the greatest servant in the universe he lives to to take his power harnesses it in love and to serve and to bless and to build those that he created in his image so we though we have to watch out and start eliminating selfish ambition and arrogance from our lives and every time it crops its head we we need to we need to kind of take a note that is dangerous that's going to lead me on destructive communication paths if i don't deal with this let me share another one first peter 2 it says therefore rid yourselves notice we're able to do this god tells us to do this rid yourselves and he's writing to christians so even though we put our trust in christ and become his follower we're still in a cleansing developmental process rid yourselves of all malice now malice is a word that we don't use an awful lot today but what it means is ill will it means that you're kind of glad when you hear something bad happen to somebody you're kind of glad when you get bad news on somebody else you you want to see them fail you want to see uh, difficulties in their life rid yourselves of all malice that's an attitude and all deceit that's where you're manipulating you're you're moving people around to your to get them to do what you want them to do and hypocrisy and there it is again envy I look at somebody and I think, I want what they have, or I wish I had, or why don't I have what they have? They, they, they've got it made. God gave them everything, and look, look at what I've got. Be careful. That's a very dangerous attitude. And slander. Slander is where I look at someone with a critical eye, and I try to find every flaw that they may have, and even flaws they do not have, I place upon them but then I magnify every weakness and then I just I just say untruths about them and I try to persuade everybody else to see them in a negative light that's slander that started with Satan he's called the slander he slanders God to others now these are these things these attitudes and I'm going to show you one more in a minute in Ephesians but I'm going to call these heart contaminants remember Jesus said that our mouth will speak from what fills our heart well there are certain heart contaminants here they are if you or I and most of us do have these at certain times in our life and we need to be vigilant we need to watch they can they can be ridded and then they can come back again if we have envy jealousy if we're jealous of someone selfish ambition deceit we're manipulative or anger some people learn that just by throwing a tantrum they can get people to do what they want when they want or malice ill will you want to see something someone else fail you want to see bad things or then this last one and it's a big one bitterness once my anger once my malice my ill will turns to bitterness and bitterness is rooted in unforgiveness when i refuse to forgive another human being and instead i just intensify my anger i justify my anger i give reasons for it i have every right to be to be angry i have every right to be bitter at this person well you can do that 
but I can tell you what it's like. It would be like every time you're about to eat a delicious meal or drink a delicious beverage, before you take a drink or before you take a bite, you've got this bucket that you keep. And this bucket is full of toxic, smelly, foul, polluted water. Dangerous stuff. And you, you take a cup and you sprinkle a little bit in your drink, you know, before you drink it, and you sprinkle it on your food, and then you eat the toxic stuff with your food. And sooner or later, you are ill all over. When we shelter, legitimize, argue, justify ourselves in being bitter, all we're doing is bringing about a slow death to our own souls. And matter, matter of fact, let me go further. Je Jesus said, this he said this in Matthew 6 I believe verse 15 he said that that if we don't forgive people from our hearts neither will the father forgive us our sins he reiterated that in Matthew 18 bitterness is a very very dangerous thing to allow to start taking root in our heart and once we have any of these heart contaminants if I'm envious of somebody jealous of somebody I have selfish ambition I want something that they have and I want it I'm manipulative deceit anger malice bitterness these things will contaminate me inwardly so that what comes out of my mouth will certainly be destructive and hurtful. And again, it might take one or two forms. It might be intimidation to get what I want from them or to get them to do what I want, or it might be manipulation to get something I want from them or to get them to do what I want. But those are the two tendencies, the two forms it usually shows itself in. Ephesians adds some other components. It says, you were taught with regard and he's writing to those that have put their trust in Christ and become his follower I'm going to stop for a minute and ask you this you each we each need to decide who you're going to follow in this life and everybody's following somebody we're either following ourselves or some other human or we're following Christ the creator of the universe the one that has proven his trustworthiness by what he taught the way that he lived the way that he sacrificed himself for us and his power to rise from the dead his power to overcome every disease and and all the things that we cannot rescue ourselves from so we're either as we sit here today right now and, and I'm not talking about do you go to church I'm not talking about do you know the Ten Commandments I'm talking about something far more serious and and concrete each of us myself included we are either because we trust in Christ we are his followers or we are not now Jesus said something really important to his followers in John 10 27 28 he said my sheep meaning his followers he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and then he says and I give them free gift I give them eternal life and they will never perish so each of us right here today we are either those that have of a certainty eternal life as a free gift from Christ because we became his followers or we are not so in a world where everybody's following somebody you and I must determine who do we trust and who are we following this passage is written to individuals that were followers of Christ in a city called Ephesus or Ephesus and what he's showing is that even after we become followers of Christ we're in a developmental process we're growing we there are things we need to get rid of from our old life and there are things we need to learn and develop to become more like the Christ-like self that God always intended us to be so he says you were taught with regard to your former way of life meaning before they trusted in Christ and became his follower to put off your what your old self your old ideas your old values your old coping mechanisms your old responses your old habits your your old morals to put off 
your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires we desire things that we think are going to bring us happiness and be good for us and good for others and they're not do not let any what is the word unwholesome talk come out of your mouths now the Greek word there is sapros it's an interesting word it's a word that was used for rotting fruit and vegetables and so sometimes we say things that are just of no value they're just of, of like the value of a rotting piece of vegetable or fruit don't let so it shows we have to monitor our speech don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is what is the word helpful for doing what building others up to their needs that it may do what for them benefit those who listen this doesn't mean that we never speak correctively to one another because sometimes the benefit is we love each other enough to say what you're doing man it's never going to work out you're going to hurt yourself and hurt others it is wrong in the sight of God don't do this I'm begging you don't do this it doesn't mean that we affirm stupidity in one another Um, we all have those friends that no matter what stupid thing we want to do they'll say yeah yeah you should you should do that if it makes you feel good that's not a friend that's a fool we need, we need people that love us enough and are in possession of God's truth to say, no, no, don't do that. Or, yeah, that's where to go. That's where to invest your life. So, so this, when it says, according to those needs, benefits those needs, benefits those listen, that depends on what the circumstance is. But it's calling us to monitor our speech because it's very powerful. And we let things slip out of our mouths. We all do. And the bad thing about things that slip out of our mouth, you can't take them back. Once someone has heard what we said, they can't unhear it. Now, they may choose to forgive us if we're fortunate, but they can't unhear it. And so we have to, we have to learn. We rectify this potential we have for misusing speech by becoming vigilant about it, recognizing it's, it's a power that has to be harnessed and has to be watched over very carefully. Let me go on same passage in Ephesians it extends and it says get rid of all what remember these are heart contaminants get rid of all what bitterness don't justify your bitterness because you'll you'll hurt yourself more than the person you're seeking to punish it's like I say you're just you're just putting pollutants in your own soul get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice these are interior attitudes thoughts dispositions whatever you want to call it so we always have to work from the inside out if the heart is full of things Jesus says that shouldn't be there it will come out of the mouth so we've got to do the inner work walking as a Christ follower is a matter of elevated self-consciousness and God consciousness simultaneously because of the presence of God in my heart and mind I become more aware of things about myself that need to be cleansed corrected improved developed and so forth so he says be kind now here's the contrast instead of all these things instead of you know slander and anger and bitterness and rage and malice be kind and compassionate to one another doing what forgiving each other how much should we forgive each other how much I mean, isn't there a limit? Peter asked Jesus one time. He said, how many times I got to forgive my brother? Seven times a day? It's in Matthew 18. You can read it on your own. You know what Jesus' answer to him was? Anybody remember? Yeah, 70 times seven. Now, if you know Peter, he's like, okay, that's (laughs) $3.99. One more, my man, one more. But that's not what Jesus meant. 
I need, I need the mercy of God daily. And I'm not some willful sinner. I don't want you to misunderstand me, but I just have so much about me. I'm like an iceberg, just as are you. There's so much below the surface that I don't yet understand, that I haven't yet seen, that I can't cleanse, that I can't deal with. I need God's mercy and forgiveness all the time. I get stuck at times. You get stuck at times. So why would I not forgive another human being? Now, forgiving doesn't mean I'm going to be a target for them. Okay, don't, don't, go, don't misunderstand because some of you think about Randy. This person abused my child and I'm supposed to forgive them and act like nothing happened. No, 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 no. Forgive them for your sake. Let, let God deal with them. But of course, protect your child from them. There, there's a difference. We're, so we're not talking about going right exactly back into the same circumstance or in the same situation or the same relationship necessarily but man we've got to forgive because we are people in constant need of forgiveness and if we don't we're filling our souls with contaminants and sooner or later that's going to come out of our mouths and it will be injurious sometimes deeply injurious to others so let's close with a few thoughts each of us has been entrusted by God with a remarkable power to be sources of hurt or healing. Every person we ever communicate with, or with every person it should be, we'll add that next, next, oh, there it is, it's there. Our, our reckless, and we're all capable of this at times, let's be, let's be honest, our reckless, ungodly words can hurt. Good news is our considerate, meaning we're thoughtful, we're slow to speak, James said, Quick to listen, slow to speak. Our considerate, godly words can do what? Yeah. I'm just curious. How many in here would say, you know, there have been people in my life and they said some things to me that I want to tell you, man, I don't, I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be if they had. They said things that brought healing to me. They said things to me that brought courage to me. They brought things into my life to energize me in positive ways. I, I was hanging by a thread and, man, they listened to me and they spoke to me and I wouldn't be who I am today if it were not for those words that they spoke. How many can look back and you, you've got someone like that or some someones in your life? I most certainly have had a number. Your words are powerful. It's a gift God's given to each of us. But our words are dangerous. They're like nuclear power where we started this message. They can be used for medical purposes. They can be used to give energy and turn lights on for people, nuclear power. But it can also be used to devastate people. So too, our words. So let's end on a positive note. There is a prayer in Scripture that I think after a message like this in particular, I feel like I would like to make, and maybe you would feel comfortable joining in with me. Here it is, Psalm 19:14. I'll read it once and then we'll attempt to say it in harmony together. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Man, I feel that way. I hope you feel that way after this message because that's the way we can harness this power for good, this power of communication. Want to try it? Here we go. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you that you gave us this unspeakable gift. And may from this day forward, because of your spirit that's here today, may we use it 
with more wisdom. May we use it with more grace. May it affect people's lives in a, in a beneficial way, the way that you intended it to be, to your honor, to your glory, because all goodness, all that we know that is good, it comes from you. And we thank you for it in Christ's holy name. Amen.